Well, today I want to talk to you about a message from, <clears throat> from the cradle to the cross, and it kind of introduces our series of messages dealing with the Christmas uh, message. Um, and today we have communion as well, the Lord's, the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we think of communion, we think of the physical sufferings of Christ. That's where our mind goes. And uh, if you've read or seen one of those physicians' accounts of death by crucifixion, you understand the pain and the agony, uh, maybe intellectually, uh, hopefully not physically, that's encountered by someone who goes through death by crucifixion. And um, we have to remember that, but we also do not want to forget the spiritual side, the spiritual anguish of the cross, because that was just as real, if not realer to, uh, more real to Christ as he hung there on that cross. And Jesus was only, uh, was not only nailed to the cross, when you stop and think about it, the Holy One, the Lamb of God, took on our sin personally. Um, He nailed, was nailed by our shame, and God's crown of glory was replaced, we're told, by a crown of thorns. And to have that happen to you is one thing, but it's another thing that all this took place by his own choice. He did this willingly for us. And really, what God was saying on the cross is, this is the kind of God that I am. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to go to that extent for you, to show you the kind of people that you can be if you put your faith, your trust in me. And that brings us to the Christmas season. You know, when we think of Christmas, thoughts of Christmas often focus on the physical settings of the birth of Christ. We think of the manger and the shepherds and the flock of sheep. And rightfully so, the Scripture explains some of that to us. And a lot of times we think back and we can always go back and imagine and remember maybe a Christmas children's program musical that we saw where the tiny little wise man dressed up or the funny little guy dressed up in the sheep costume stole the whole show. Um, You know, you love those kind of images for obvious reasons. But we don't want to overlook the spiritual realities of the birth of Christ. And I'd ask you to stand with me and turn to Luke chapter 1 as we read from the Gospel of Luke just a portion of this story. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. It reads, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Marion. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb. And bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We ask you to bless it to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What God is saying in that text of Scripture is, this is the kind of God I am. We like to think of God how we like to think of God. We, we make God our own image in our own minds at times. And we forget that that's not only wrong, it's not honoring to the Lord. And so God is saying here, this is the kind of God I am. I do this for you to show you the kind of people that you can be. And this is really the, the message of the manger. It's, it's the crux of the cross. It's really communion and Christmas blended together. The complete physical world, yet also interjected with the entire spiritual truth that will never end. The truth that God reigns over all, forever, including our own lives. And of course, you know, you're probably sitting there asking yourself, me? God did this for me? (laughs) In a word, yes, he did. And right now, as we prepare our hearts for our, our communion time, it's a reminder of that cross. It's a reminder of his death, of his resurrection, and even the meaning of his birth. Not only his birth in Bethlehem, but remember his birth in your own heart. Imagine the infant holy child lying in the cradle within a stable. It's really the first gift of Christmas, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And over the next 33 years of this small infant's life, much will happen. Leading him all the way from that cradle, that stable, to the cross, to even the table which lies here before us today as we serve communion. On the front of most communion tables are found the words, do this in remembrance of me. And see, when we come to communion, it should be a time of remembrance. Remembering the difference that Christ made in the past, in the present, and even the difference that Christ will make in the future. Now, we don't need some ghost to escort us through the the past and the the present and the future as the movie does, but we're going to look to God's Word to guide us this morning in the Holy Spirit. As we remember, first of all, as you look at your outline there, Christmas past, remembering the Lord's death. Turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As you look at Hebrews chapter 10 there, look at 
Glance down to verse 5. It says there, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. We need to remember the Lord's death. The death was made possible by his birth. You don't die unless you're born. After my sister's death, one night my family and I got together and we were watching old movies. <laughs> and there were some pretty crazy movies, but um, it, it made me think that, you know what, without birth, death is impossible. To die, you have to be born. And, and there's something special, we'd all conclude this, about those little babies. Those of you who are new mothers know what I'm talking about. They're precious, they're perfect. They're so simple and serene when they're first born. They got that soft skin. They smell so good. And you know, you watch that little newborn sleep, and it really does something to you. It strengthens your soul. And it's hard to imagine that little newborn has a sinful nature, <laughs> just like everybody else. And we think, no, no, not our child. But it's true. But then you hear the little wah, crying, or the other sounds, and the smell changes drastically, (laughs) and then reality sits in. This little baby is just like everybody else. And see, Mary's little lamb was the first truly spotless lamb, perfect in every way. You know, we sing that song, that hymn, No Crying He Makes. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus cried like every other baby. And yet, without sin. He made a mess in his diaper just like any other baby. Yet, without sin. See, the Old Testament centered on the sacrifice of unblemished lambs. And Jesus was this kind of once-for-all lamb that took away the sins of all who would ever put their faith and trust in him. And so we need to remember Christ's death. Look down at verse 10, Hebrews 10, verse 10. It says, And by that will we have been sanctified, what? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This was a one-time deal. This isn't something that Jesus had to continue to offer himself as a sacrifice. He was perfect in every way, and yet completely human, completely God, 100% God, 100% man. He had to be. He had to be human because God cannot die. (laughs) And so he had to take on a physical body, and yet... While he was here in that physical body, he never committed any sin whatsoever. He was God's gift for our redemption. 
And it was made possible for him to give his body to us once for all on the cross because he was born. Because he was born. So the death was made possible by his birth. Secondly, the death was made meaningful by his life. I mean, there's a lot of people named Jesus. Just go down to Mexico. (laughs) And they die all the time. But they don't change anything. See, it was Christmas past when that tiny gift was presented to the world. And that gift kept on giving as he kept on not sinning. He was perfect, the perfect lamb of God, living the life sinful man could never live. And he saved just as he gave gifts to all who would believe on him. All who would unwrap that precious gift of God's Savior in Christmas's past. Jesus desired to have a few hours before his death with his disciples. He wanted to instruct them on some things, some last things that they had to be instructed on. When we say, do this in remembrance of me, it's a way of showing forth his death. That's what Christ said. And his death was made possible by his birth. It was made meaningful by his life. He was born to die that we might live. But thirdly, the death was made monumental by his resurrection. Birth, life, death, then what? Breath. He came back to life. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave, the Bible says. And so his gift continues giving us into all eternity. So that's Christmas past. And that's why we do communion once a month on the first Sunday usually of the month. But you can do communion in your home. You can do communion in a Bible study. He said do this often. And when we do it, we want to remember his death. Well, secondly... Think about Christmas present. Christmas present. What do I mean? I mean, remember the Lord's steps and remember to walk in them as he instructs us to. That word communion, it's, it's really an action word. It, it literally means fellowship, participate in, share together, have in common. And that's what the body of Christ is. We have all things in common in Christ. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. It goes on and on. Gentile, it goes on and on. See, it's entering into the presence of the one who lived, who died, and who was raised from the dead by the power of God to live ever, forevermore. Above all that, he's present with us always. Can you wrap your mind around that? Jesus never leaves you nor forsakes you as his child. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. You could go to the darkest part of the world, and he is right there with you.
See, Christmas should be much more, I think, about this table, about the communion table, than about the stable. Because Jesus wanted to have communion with his disciples. I mean, usually when someone passes on, if they have the opportunity, they want to say some last parting words, you're probably going to listen pretty intently to what they're going to say to, your, to you, it's, if it's their last words. See, he wanted them to think of him often. He wanted them to walk as he walked. And you know what? He wants the same thing for us as the body of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says this. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called. It's talking to believers. Because Christ also suffered for you. And then what's it say? It says, leaving you an example. Leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. See, he, he left us here, beloved, not just to come to church once a week. He left us here to continue his work, to continue his legacy. And he promises in John 14, 12, whoever has my commandments and what? Keeps them. Keeps them. It's an ongoing thing. The scripture says, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. See, we are a fellowship of believers. We're a a fellowship of Christ's followers. And when we come together around the Lord's table, it's as if we were present with Jesus during that final meal of his life with his disciples. Most definitely, he is with us. And when you think of the Lord's table, when you think of communion, you can't help but call to mind the high cost of our salvation. I mean, it's free to us. Salvation is free. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to pay for it. You can't. It's a gift. It's by grace. But don't ever forget that it cost Christ dearly. It cost him his very body and his life's blood as he hung there on that cross. And I think sometimes, at least for myself, in the things that I do, and I'm probably certain it goes for you too, we don't always show forth his death as much as he requires. Instead, what do we live for? We live for ourselves. And often, we're crucifying Christ anew. A little further down in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28, it says this, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then it says in verse 29, How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. In other words, we shouldn't take this table for granted. We shouldn't take the death of Christ for granted. When we think of it, it should rattle our cage. That's why the Bible says that we should, this is a time of kind of introspection, a time where we examine our own hearts. 
It's not a time where we just eat the cracker and drink the juice and, okay, let's go. Game zone. We've got to eat. It's a time where we gather as the body of Christ to remember what the Savior has done for us. And before we consider, before we finish considering this Christmas present, have you ever thought of what your Christmas presents to the one whose birthday it really is, is all about? (laughs) What are you going to give the Savior this year? I mean, how ironic, it's his birthday, and what do we do? We get gifts. We give gifts to other people. And seldom do we think, well, what could I give the Savior? What could I give the Lord this year? I trust that it will be your best, because that's what he deserves. Make sure and spend the most. Make sure the thoughts that count are in place today and throughout the season, and even beyond. Because if it wasn't for his gift to us, there'd be no reason for us to share any gifts with anybody. Well, the third point here this morning, briefly, is Christmas future. Christmas past, remember his death. Christmas present, remember the Lord's steps and walk in them. And Christmas future, it's an encouraging message, really. It's remember that he's going to return. Probably sooner than later. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, what? The Lord's death. Does it stop there? No. What's it say? Until he comes. Until he comes. We get to do this until the Lord comes back. What a blessing that is. Because he spoke of his coming kingdom. He spoke of it in a very real sense so much that the disciples thought that he was going to usher it in right there physically while he was here on earth. That's what they believed. And so when Christ went to the cross and died, they couldn't, they didn't understand that. They thought, wait a minute, he's the king, he's the savior. All hope is lost now that he's hanging dead on a cross. They didn't understand that he was speaking of future when his kingdom would rule and reign. But when you think of the those two, those three words there, when he says, until he comes, when Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, I mean, did you ever think that three words could tell more than those three words? He spoke of his coming kingdom. He who came into the world will one day return to take us out of the world before the coming judgment. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we're to remember the promise of his return. We call it the Last Supper. But really, it's not. That's really not a good term for that. Because the next supper is what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. And the table was already being set, the Bible says. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 to 9, it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted 
her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, speaking of the church there, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I can only imagine what John thought as he penned those words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think when we think of these three tenses of Christmas, the past, the present, and the future, I pray that we'll be sure to remember these truths as well, that our, our past, no matter how dark it may be, no matter how hideous of life you may have lived before you came to Christ, that past is forgiven. It's forgiven. It's forgiven by the blood of Christ. But it's also forgotten. Sometimes we forget that one. <laughs> God not only forgives our sins, but guess what? He forgets them. Well, wait, I thought God knew everything. Yeah, he does. So he knows how to forget stuff if he wants to forget it. That's the only way I can explain it, because it doesn't make any sense to me. How could God forget anything? But he chooses to. See, your sins can be forgiven, and they can be forgotten. If you're willing to bend your knee, put your faith, your trust, not in yourself, not in a church, not in a creed, or a prayer, or raising of a hand. But if you'll put your faith, your trust, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice for you, remembering that he just didn't die. He just wasn't buried. But what? He was raised from the dead to newness of life. That can be yours as well. Your past can be forgiven and forgotten. And remember that the present Christmas that's, that's a gift of life. It can't be purchased. But rather, the Bible says that he purchased us. He redeemed us from the marketplace of sin. He purchased us. The Bible says even though we were stained with sin, he said, that's all right. I'll take you just as you are. You come to me. See, that's the invitation of a God who desires to have a relationship with us. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. And those of you who are gathered here today who know Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've probably walked with him for years, you know what kind of relationship that is. It's a personal one. That's why we should walk in his steps every day. That's why we should gather and examine our own hearts. How are we doing in that perspective? How are we walking like Christ? Are we slipping up here and there? That's okay. That's, we're normal. We're, we're human beings. We're not going to be perfect like the Savior was. But this is a time when we can come remorsefully, acknowledging our sins, thanking Him for our forgiveness, and asking Him to fill our lives anew with the Spirit that empowers us to live this Christian life that he's called us to live. You can't do this by yourself. You can't do it on your own. And then you think of our future. 
You know, nobody knows our future. We don't know what's going to happen. I was talking with my brothers and sisters, and they, I thought my sister Swellen was going to outlive all of us just as a joke. <laughs> I always told her that. I said, you know what, you're probably going to live longer than any of us. But that wasn't God's plan. I'm sure she didn't know what day she was going to die. I knew, I'm sure she didn't know what time she was going to die. But having talked to her and my brother talked to her about her faith, it was real to her. She knew without a doubt that she'd be in the presence of her Lord and Savior. And I kind of pinched myself on the flight back here because I thought, you know, I, I don't think I've really dealt with this emotionally yet. She was like a mom to me, kind of. And I, I just don't think I've dealt with it yet. But then I started thinking, well, what is her to deal with? <laughs> She's with her Lord and Savior in heaven. Why would I want her anywhere else? Maybe for selfish motivation. But you know what? All these things happen according to God's purpose, according to God's plan. And even though our futures are yet unwritten, we don't know what's going to happen. We do know how it's going to end. See, that's the blessing of being a believer. That's the blessing of putting your faith, your trust in Christ. We know what the back of the book says without a shadow of a doubt. And so what are we to do? How do we apply this practically? Well, you know what? I would just say this. Take your clean slate because you've been forgiven of everything if you've trusted Christ. And walk in his steps on a daily basis and do it until he comes. That's all he wants. And I think this morning as we approach the Lord's table, we need to do this personally. We need to approach it with a heart of thanks. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. And we talk usually around the table, oh, I'm thankful for this, thankful for that. That should be a daily routine in our lives. We should wake up in the morning saying, thank you, Lord, for, hey, I'm still breathing. And before we go to sleep, thank you, Lord, for all the trials and blessings and tribulations this day has brought to me. And yet, here I am about to lay my head on this pillow and go to sleep, knowing that I am in your constant, perfect care. That's a blessing. Let's approach this table personally when we approach our own and give thanks. Give thanks for the the cradle, the stable where it all started. Give thanks for the sinless life of Christ. Let us give thanks for the the body and the blood that was sacrificed for us. See, he who was born to die didn't stop there. He died that we might live. And he rose to make it all possible. Second song I'm going to sing for you during communion time, and you can sing along if you want the words to be up there.
But the chorus says this, living he loved me, dying he saved me. Buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified freely forever. And one day he's coming, O glorious day. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, as we approach this time of communion, I pray that we would do so with hearts filled with thanksgiving. And Lord, as we uh, sing a, a hymn here before we actually have our communion time, I pray that you would uh, minister your grace to our hearts. Help us to examine our own hearts, our own minds. And if there's anything there that shouldn't be, Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow us to just privately just confess that to you right now. Lord, your word says that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so for that, we're thankful. For that, we praise your name. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that we would not only remember Christmas past and Christmas present, but also Christmas future, the idea that you're coming back for us one day, and how we can look forward to that time together where there'll be no more tears, no more hurt, no more pain. Our bodies will be made new. They'll be glorified. Yet I think we'll still recognize each other. And I think that we will be able to gather together with those who've gone on before us. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would lead us through our communion time together as the body of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.